Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Warehouse Church. Uh, my name is Brent Akers, and I am the student leader here at Warehouse. Uh, and it is my honor and privilege to be able to continue the series of Jonah with you. Uh, we are right now in week two of our series of Jonah. So just uh, it's been a couple weeks off since we got to do week one. So just to kind of catch you up real fast. So in the first part of Jonah, Jonah is being, is God speaks to Jonah and tells him he needs to go to uh, Nineveh to speak his word. Jonah had other plans. He didn't want to do that. So he ran in the opposite direction. Uh, to tarnish, and, uh, and he decided, hey, I don't want to go speak to those people. They're evil. They're cruel. They're not who I want to talk to God about. So what Jonah does is he runs in the opposite direction. When he does so, he gets on a boat, and God causes a storm up on the ocean. And as the crew members of the boat are trying to figure out what is causing this, they ask Jonah, and Jonah just basically says, yeah, I'm running from God, and this is what causes this, so throw me to the water. Uh, so they throw Jonah into the water, and that's kind of where we're going to pick up today. Uh, but before uh, we get into our first uh, uh, our reading today, I just want to pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for this day, and thank you so much for this opportunity uh, to share your words. Um, I ask that the Holy Spirit comes down and uses me as a vessel for your words to speak through me, uh, to touch those who are in need. God, I ask that the Holy Spirit fills this room and can take away any distractions that we may have going on in our day-to-day -day life. And that this next little bit, we can focus in on what you have for us and we can walk away feeling better, knowing your truth, uh, and touching each and every one of these lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're just going to continue. We're going to start today off uh, just with the reading. And we're going to look at chapter 1, verse 17. It says, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the deep I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me. All of your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath bared me in forever. But you... Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. What I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. All right, so if you are like me, you take everything with a little bit of skepticism, right? And it's not just this, but just everything in life. You, you're, I'm just very skeptical about, about anything I go about my life. Someone tells me something, I always am asking, okay, is that true? Can that be true? But, but this may cause you to kind of tune out and kind of push away this story about Jonah and the fish. Because you're thinking, this is too far-fetched. And how can I take this story seriously 
about a man being swallowed by a fish. It's just outlandish and it's wild. I want to tell you a little something personal about myself. I grew up a Bengals fan. And so I don't know why I chose the Bengals. I grew up in a household that didn't really have much interest in the NFL outside of the Super Bowl. But for some reason, I watched the Bengals. And I watched them as a young kid, and I was just used to us losing. I wasn't old enough to kind of remember their, their glory run of 91 where they got to see a playoff win or the late 80s where they made it to the Super Bowl and lost. So all I knew about the Bengals was losing. And if you know even more about me, I also grew up at a Betsaline Bobcat. Now, while we've had recent success, all we knew was losing. And if you go even further, I was also a UK football fan. And again, all I knew about football was you lost. That's all I understood about it. But then we had a, a guy named Carson Palmer step in. We started to see a little bit of success. And while Carson got us to the playoffs, we never had success. And then this young kid with this beautiful red hair shows up, and we're thinking, okay, this is the guy. Again, we get several playoff runs, and, we, and I'm finally thinking, if you know anything about the NFL, the Bengals and Steelers, they hate each other. But our first playoff win was about to come against the Steelers, and then we bingled it up, right? We lost it. But finally, finally our guy shows up, Joe Burrow. And not only do we make it to the playoffs, and not only do we finally see a playoff win, we made it all the way to the Super Bowl. And I tell you all of this just because to let you know that, hey, if the Bengals can make it to the Super Bowl, anything is possible, even being swallowed up by a fish, right? So and when you hear this story, I just want you to think that this isn't like a Hebrew metaphor or this isn't something like the Jewish people were like, oh, yeah, my, my cousin Omar, he was swallowed by a well before. Like, they didn't just take this in and believed it either. This wasn't some kind of fairy tale to them. This story is supposed to be hard to believe. And this is supposed to be hard to imagine. And I love this story of Jonah. And it's fascinating as it tells us about fearing and finding our calling. It tells us something about redemption and justice, nationalism, hatred, and ultimately the redemptive love of God. This story is a reminder that God loves broken places and that God loves cities. He loves his people and, he, and, he, uh, he, and he's chasing after us. Right, so before my wife and I decided we were going to move back to Prestonsburg. We really struggled with that decision for a very long time. We liked the amenities of a larger place. We liked kind of being in a place where, you know, nobody knew our business. We could just be and nobody could bother us. Nobody had to know about our, anything that was going on. And we really struggled with returning to the area. We really fought it for a long time, but we ultimately decided that, hey, this is, this is where our home is. This is where our heart is. And, and, but the, the decision didn't come easy because, as you all know, we don't have the amenities of a larger place. We are more aware of, of what poverty and drug abuse does in this area. And, but we love this place, and we love the individuals who come here, and this is where we wanted to make our impact. So today, I'm not going to bog you down with like the details of the scientific possibilities of can someone be swallowed up by a fish, right? We're not going to go through the digestive system 
or talk about how a blue whale only has a esophagus about four inches wide in diameter, right? Like, I'm not going to sit here and bore you with the science of how this could be possible. But instead, I want your questions about how is it possible, right? I love science and I love reasoning, right? I'm a math teacher, so, so reason and logic go hand in hand with me. But I personally have experienced miracles that science and reason can't ex can explain. So today, I want us to look at this deeper and ask, what does it mean if all of this is true? Right? The story of Jonah challenges us to expand our sense of what is possible, specifically the possibility of love that will run after us. So this morning, we're going to look at three things that help us expand our possibilities and imagination. First, it's a mercy we can hardly imagine. Then we'll move into a prayer we can barely pray. And then last, a deliverance we can count on. But first, I want to kind of focus in on a mercy we can hardly imagine. So it may be strange to start with this idea of mercy when reading this story of Jonah, especially this part of Jonah. Because right now, Jonah's in the belly of a fish for three days. And it doesn't sound merciful, right? Like, you just got swallowed up by a well. Where is the mercy here? But I want us to look at Jonah's prayer here uh, a little bit closer. And it says in Jonah 2.2, 2, In my distress, I called the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. So remember, Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And he's, he's crying out during this time in prayer. But listen to these words. I called for help. You listened to my cry. Notice that these are all past tense. I called for help. You listened to my cry. These are all past tense. So Jonah's not praying to be saved from the belly of the well. He's praying in thanksgiving that God used the well to save him. Right? So I've always read this story. It's kind of a classic prayer like, God, save me, save me, save me. Right? Help me. But Jonah realizes that the well itself is a sign of mercy. It was God's path of deliverance because his alternative was death. Right? Remember, they threw him out into a storm into the waters, and he's struggling to survive. Although it looks like the storm was the, was the well, in fact, that's what God sent as his deliverance. So we've all experienced in our lives really dark times, a season of suffering and loss. But looking back, we realize it's a greater outcome than what we could have been. A classic example I like to use with the students is talking about a breakup, right? Like you just think, oh, I've, you know, I've been broken up with or I broke up with so-and-so. My life is over. It's really messy. There's nothing better that can ever come along. It's painful. It feels real. And you just know life is over. But once you get some distance from it, you look back and say, well, that was deliverance, right? That breakup kind of helped me stay away from a, a lifetime of unhappiness and a lifetime of potential suffering. Or if you've ever sat bedside with someone who's on hospice care or, or, or into life care, right? You're sitting there and you know what's inevitable. You know what's to come. And you're praying for a miracle to come, but at the same time, you're praying for mercy that God just take them, set them free. 
right? And you want deliverance for that person. But you also realize that this might be mercy just to let them go. This is the purpose of Jonah's prayer. During this time, he's uncomfortable. He's in pain, but realizes that the waves above his head are far worse fate. And, the, and a strange one at that. But let me also say that not all suffering gives us meaning in the moment. Right? We've all gone through sufferings, and during that time, we're not really able to thank God for those sufferings. If you'll notice in Jonah's prayer here, he's missing the part of his prayer where he's saying, thank you for being such a good God. Thank you for being such a loving God. He's saying, thanks for delivering, but this is not my ideal situation. So Jonah's coming to a point where he's finally coming to accept uh, the sovereignty of what God has and, that, and love for him. And God won't let Jonah outrun him. Um, God had big plans for Jonah. He had plans for his life, but he did not allow Jonah to go in the opposite way, although that's what he wanted. In chapter 1, Jonah is in denial, and he's done with God. God told him to go one way, and Jonah's like, no, 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 that's not my plan. I'm going in the opposite way. So if you're sitting here today, just like Jonah, God's not done with you, right? Like you're in a season of your life, and each of us are in a different season of our life. But just like us being, if you're in that storm of you're in the belly of that well and you're sitting here and you're struggling, know that God's not done with you. So Jonah is accepting that God is sovereign and in control and he's showing mercy and deliverance. God is both in control of Jonah's life and showing him incredible mercy simultaneously. And the weird thing is, is that mercy and and suffering kind of share this border. You almost say like they're like cousins, right? Because those lines can be really blurred to us. We go through hard times, but when we can turn back and look at those, we can see what that did for us. We can see how that changed our path and our lives. So the Lord is not done with Jonah, and he orchestrated an outlandish plot twist to ensure Jonah can't outrun him. And this leads me to our next part. A prayer that can barely pray. So I don't know about you all, but prayer doesn't come like super easy to me. I can't, I always wanted to be one of these people who had beautiful prayers. My aunt has beautiful prayers. She texts them to me all the time. She had, in fact texted me this morning a prayer just through text. And I wish I had that gift of prayer, of words to be able to say like she does. But I'm just, I'm not good. I don't have profound words. So during Jonah's prayer, some of the lines in his prayer just don't connect well. And, and some people think, well, this is just snippets of his prayer. They just kind of put them together. Some people say that Jonah was kind of in and out of consciousness during this time. And, and that would make sense, right? That you kind of be going in and out of consciousness in the belly of the well. But this also kind of makes me think about my prayers at, at night. I don't know about you all. I don't get at the end of the bed on my knees and pray probably like I should I, when I lay my head down on the pillow, I, that's when I pray. And usually after the office has been on for about 30 minutes or so, right? But I usually lay there, and, I, and that's my time of prayer before bed. And, and the thing is, is that I'm in and out of consciousness during this time. And, and that started with me during the time that I was in suffering and I was in loss, that I started to pray every single night. Because that was the only time that I was comforted enough that I could feel like I could go to sleep. 
So I think part of the reason why I'm in and out of the consciousness during those times of prayer is because I feel so much comfort in talking to God during those times. But sometimes my prayers during that time aren't coherent. I'm praying about stuff and I'm kind of all over the place because I'm in and out of consciousness. When I'm really focused on prayer is normally when I'm trying to pray for something that's like coming up during the week, something bad that's going on, something that's in the horizon. But Jonah presents us with this model of prayer that cuts through kind of distraction, right? So pretty much uh, the scholars who, you know, who actually study this stuff and are way smarter than I am kind of say that this isn't so much a prayer as it is a psalm. So during this time, Jonah isn't really saying his own words. He's, he's putting his own words into a song that he used as thanksgiving to God. He's not praying to God. He's trying to find a way to worship God in the midst of the storm in his life. And I know about you all, like I love that song, You Are Good, right? We were just listening to that song, You're Never Gonna Let Me Down. And I think about, you know, when I've been down and I've been in those storms and I feel like all the weight of the world is coming on me, you know, you can listen to that song and I may not have the words to give God, but I can praise him by telling him, you are good, you are good. You're never going to let me down because that's what I know. The, the, even though I don't have the words to say, I can go back to a song to help me praise God in those times. And this is what, and this leads me to two takeaways. Pray the Psalms and pray for change in yourself, not in your circumstance. So let's look at verses four and five. I said, I've been banished from your sight Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. So in this prayer, Jonah's quoting a lot from the Psalms. He finds himself in the belly of a whale and he calls on what he knows. He calls on the Psalms that he learned as a boy. So if you want to know how to pray like Jonah in a season of loss and trauma and grief, Open up the Psalms. But the other thing is to do is to pray, God, change me. Nowhere does he say, God, get me out of these circumstances. I believe Jonah is praying, change me. Whatever it is causing me to run uh, to, to Tarshish when you call me to Nineveh, whatever it is that has made me angry and bitter, lead me to do a place of acceptance of your control, knowing that you know what's best for me better than I do. He's not changing. He's not praying for a change in his circumstance. He's praying for a change in himself. He's not saying, hey, God, you got it wrong. Like, he's not trying to negotiate with God. Like, I don't know about you all. I've been very, in my life, I've done this many times, especially when I was younger, and in high school and even in college, I'd be, I didn't study for the test, but I'd pray to God, God, listen, if there is a way that I can pass this, then I will be a better Christian. I promise you, right? Like, I promise you. God, I know I said I would never do this again, but this is the second test of the semester. If you can somehow help me pass this, I promise this time it will be different. I will, I will tell everyone about you, right? And I don't know if you've been in those situations, but I've always, when I was praying, I was negotiating with God. 
hey, get me out of this circumstance. Get me out of this place of suffering or loss. Get me out, right? But I never once said, God, I don't know what my problem is. I know I'm a horrible procrastinator. Please change me. I never wanted to take the blame. I didn't want to put it on myself to say, God, I'm the one that needs change. I looked at him as, God, you're all great and mighty, so get me out, right? So he's not praying to change what's happening around him. He's praying to change what's happening inside of him. And this philosopher said this, the function of prayer is not to influence God, but rather to change the one who prays. And I love this because prayer is meant to transform you. It is not meant to be a negotiation tool with God, but pray to mold yourself towards the will of the one who loves you and, he, and who won't let you outrun him. And if you don't have the words to say, then pray the Psalms. And finally, that leads us to a deliverance we can count on. So amazingly, when Jonah stops running and fighting, he prays the Psalms and accepts God's control of his love, then things started to change for him. Right When Jonah finally let go of all the control, when he finally said, God, you have saved me and it's time for me to change, stuff started to turn around. And here's what he said in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you. Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Worthless idols here actually translates to worthless nothings, right? So those who worship worthless nothings turn away from God's love. And at the end of this prayer, Jonah is saying, man, I've had some worthless idols. And so I ask you, what, what were some of those worthless idols? What are some of the worthless idols in our lives right now that are keeping us from changing ourselves? For Jonah, one of them was nationalism. He refused to go to Nineveh because they were the wrong kind of people. They were, they were not the kind of people he wanted to see saved. That was not his idea of who he wanted to save. And if you know anything about what God tells us, we're supposed to love everyone the same. We're all supposed to be able to, to say, be saved by his grace. And we do that ourselves, right? We, there's times I, I know in my life and they stick out when I've seen people on the side of the road and I'm thinking, I should probably stop to see if they need help. But in my life, I'm too busy and they are not the type of person I need to witness to, right? And that's, that's not what, what's supposed to happen here. So what else? Well, he didn't listen to God. He was willing to risk the life of not only himself, but other men and sailors on that boat, right? Jonah did everything possible to throw away his life to worthless idols. So why is God not done with him? Why is it that when we put everything else in front of God, why is it that when we try to turn our backs to God and run in the opposite direction, that he doesn't just throw us away? You want to kind of summarize this psalm in a, single, in a single phrase. It's Jonah going, I did everything I could to die, and now I'm spending three days in a well. I guess God's not done with me. And that's why I want to challenge you not to dismiss this story as a fairy tale, because this is the kind of mercy that we all long for. This is the kind of love that we seek. 
right? You want a miraculous orchestrated plot twist that you could never imagine in a million years. You want there to be this steadfast love that won't let you go. So Jonah is coming to see that his real problem is a heart problem. It's a heart problem towards of hatred. He, hatred for the others and the people of Nineveh. You cannot be full of God's grace if you have a heart full of hatred. If you, and it doesn't matter if you have a hatred towards someone or something else. If, you're, you, if your obsessive love for your own people, your own city, your own nation is blocking you from loving others, then you have a lot to repent of. In verse 9 it says, But I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. And I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So notice the tense in these verses now. He's no longer talking in the past. He's no longer talking about what God did for him. But he's now saying, hey, now that I've been changed, now that I've, com I've confessed, now I'm ready. Maybe this is when he says, get me out of this situation. I'm ready. And I will go to whatever city you ask me to go. I'll even go to Prestonsburg. Right? Like, we don't have to go to a whole new city to see the changes that need to be made. We have a people here locally who need it. We have people in our, in our families. We have people, our neighbors who need that love of God and need it to be shown. In verse 10... And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah out onto dry land. And it, listen, I, I know it sounds weird, but I love that it says vomit for two reasons. Number one, it beats the alternative, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> but number two, it has to say vomit. And why is that? Because if you've ever been delivered away from a messy situation, it's not clean. Right? In fact, I would say deliverance is rarely clean. There is no clean break from old to new. It's a constant struggle. If you've had addiction in your life and you've given your life to Jesus, that addiction doesn't go away miraculously. It's a struggle to stay clean. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've given your life to Jesus or you said, hey, God, I'm willing to to move my family to Lexington so I can pursue what you have for me. I'm going to go back to school and do as you say so I can become a teacher to hopefully, you know, be able to, to be there for students who are in need. But that, that wasn't easy because my wife got cancer during that time. And so just because just because you're doing is God's will. It's, it's never clean. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be perfect. So, but, but what, what he says here is there is dry land. There is a place for our feet to be planted. There is a promise that we will be delivered and its deliverance can count on. See, this is a story about the unbelievable mercy and grace of God. And that's why it's so amazing. Right? This, but there's a story that trumps all of this that's hard to believe. And if you know anything about Jesus, he came to this earth as a, as a man and the son of God. 
and yet he he was sacrificed laid in a tomb for three days and arose again we believe that story right that story is far more miraculous and it's so sometimes it's harder to imagine that that three days in the tomb but this story and stories like it are in the bible for a reason they're there to challenge your imagination to embrace a god who will not fit in the boxes of our modern sense of possibilities in the case of jonah we see a story that is complicated and unimaginable but underneath that question is do i want it to be true not is it true do i want it to be true in my personal story i've seen family be brought back together i've seen a wife cured of cancer i've seen miracle of two children being born right like i've seen miracle after miracle and god's intervened in every single one of these in ways that are unimaginable and hard to believe so what could it mean if this kind of god exists is this kind of mercy possible and what would it mean for you what would it mean if Jesus, the Son of God, accomplished the greater work on the cross so that from the deep waters of our suffering we can find dry land? Right, so I'm, I'm going to just kind of put this challenge out to our church right now as we're going through a transformation right now of a pastor search. And this really hit hard on me this week as I was, I didn't have this in my original one, but you know, we were out for snow and it's really... It's hard trying to pick out a pastor and make sure that, hey, we're on the right track and we're praying for that pastor who God has in for us. But we also have to pray as a church to change us, transform us, God, into who we need to be so when our new pastor comes, we can go out into this community and do what we set out to do. We're here to reach the 90% of the unchurched people who are not here today. And we have... We have spots in this church who go, that go unserved. We have plenty of people here today, but we have trouble finding volunteers to, who are willing to put themselves out there to take that next step. And I'm not here to preach at you because I, listen, I understand it's not easy. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it doesn't feel rewarding and sometimes you feel like, like you're taken advantage of. But I'm here to tell you that, hey, if we want to change, if we want to see change not only in our own lives, but in our community, we first have to pray, God, so often I pray, God, change this city. Put it on these people to come to you. But when I need to be saying, God, change me so that I'm willing to go out and share your word when there's others who won't. Change me so that I feel led to go to other places and, and preach your word. Either you're running towards God or you're running away from God. There really is no kind of sitting still when it's when it's set. So I, I challenge you, pray to God and say, I'm tired of running. Change me and prepare me for what is next. Set my feet on this dry land. Our God is a God of mercy, deliverance, and a life worth living. And I challenge you all today that, hey, Listen, I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I don't know if you've ever prayed that prayer to ask God for to accept Him in your life or, or you've been a Christian for 50 years and you're just not sure where to go next. But listen, this place, this is a, is a, is a safe place. 
is a place of love and where we want to see transforming lives through Jesus Christ. So I, I ask you, if there's something you want to pray about, feel free to come to these altars. They're open. He wants that relationship with you. He loves you, and He's willing to go to the ends of the earth and chase after you. If you're here today, He's not done with you. He's going to continue to run after you until your time's called. Thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for this day, and thank you so much for never giving up on us. God, we love you, and we praise you through the storms, and we praise you in the mountaintops.